Hello, hello, hello. I'm not really sure why you guys are all running in in such panic half an hour ago. Looks nice out. I once heard it said, if you don't like the weather in South Dakota, wait 20 minutes. I'm only going to be up here for about three minutes. I want to give a quick announcement and then make an, a, a, uh, I want to invite somebody up, an introduction. So you've heard me say over and over, if you've been a part of this church, that church is not about a building. Church is not about coming together for an hour a week. Church is a group of people that believe in Jesus, that want to promote him and bring glory to him. We are a second campus of a larger church. Most of you know that. A lot of people in here go up to the main campus. But it's an important thing to recognize that we are a part of a, a much bigger body than just who gathers here at Rimrock Downtown. And there's two reasons I bring that up. First one, next week, next Sunday, we're having our annual church picnic up at Johnson Siding. It's a really sweet time of gathering together with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other people that call Rimrock their home to eat good food and get together and just enjoy time with other believers. So even if you only come down here, I heavily encourage you, if it works for your schedule, to get up the hill next week um, just to kind of see how big of a church God is building with Rimrock. You know, the, the second reason I bring this up, you know, we, we're a diverse model, Rimrock is. There's two different campuses, and we love the diversity that each campus brings, but we also practice in a major, we desire to be very unified, Part of that is coming together to enjoy burgers and hot dogs, but another way in which we are unified is the staff that supports both of these churches. Most of us don't know this, but the reason why Rimrock, has been, Rimrock Downtown has been able to be here for as long as it has is because it's a part of a much bigger Rimrock. And out of this, we have so many more resources Financially, but even more so personnel, wisdom that allow us to grow and continue to figure out what God wants us to do. And so within that idea of staff, most of you know that Pastor Mike, my dad, retired June 30th. And over the last four or five months, there's been a search team that has been advertising that position. And the position is dealing with administration, finances, building, both buildings, and communication. So it's fully behind the scenes for the most part, but it is a major foundation off which most of Rimrock operates. You know, and I have the ability right now to introduce to you Michael Homa. The search team came across Michael, I don't know, two months ago, a month ago, something like that. He kind of rose to the top. They got a chance to meet him. Everybody, all the other candidates fell away. And the search team, which is comprised of really godly and wise men and women, decided that this is a man we feel like God is calling us to bring into Rimrock. And so Michael and his wife Leslie and their two boys are in town this weekend to candidate for us to get to know him. And then on Sunday tomorrow, members have a chance to vote to either confirm or deny the search team selection. So Michael, if you'd please come up. We get a chance to hear his story tonight. If you wouldn't mind, give him a little bit of a round of applause and welcome. Thank you, Evan. Uh, thank you, Pastor Ben. Thank you for uh, the opportunity to kind of share my story with you. As you get older, you tend to carry more accessories for men, which is 
hard to handle because we're not used to that like the ladies are. So now I got a Bible, a book, glasses. So bear with me, please. Um, uh, it is truly a, an honor to be here with you. Um, there over a couple of months ago, I received uh, an email, a random email from um, Rimrock from a sweet lady named Amy. And I didn't know what that was all about. And I was thought it was just maybe a, one of those junk mail, people are selling something, or somebody got some money in Africa, they want me to get it out for them, or whatever. <laughs> so I was kind of hesitant to open the email, but I opened it, and it was like, hey, uh, there's an opportunity here if you're interested at Rimrock. And, and, and I had no idea where Rimrock was. And when I read the address, it said SD. I thought it was San Diego. I'm like, oh. This is great, but I didn't realize SD stood for uh, South Dakota. I pretty much grew up in San Diego, and um, let me make sure. I, I don't want to go over my time. I, I was allowed a certain amount of time. I want to stay with that. But um, So it's great to be here. I, I came here a little over a month ago, and I just sat right over there and, and just watched the service here and kind of met the search team, and we had a great weekend of questions and answers, and so... Uh, lo and behold, they call me back. Uh, I often wonder if I was the only candidate applied for Rimrock, and that's why they keep calling me back. I keep telling my wife, I'm like, I don't know why they keep calling me back. But uh, it, it is truly an honor to be here. It, it's even a greater honor to serve the Lord, right? And, and thank you for the worship team, those songs, Josh, for selecting those songs. Um, because really resonate with my story and, and, and obviously all of our stories in that sense as we commit to Christ and to follow him. Um, I was born and raised in a very um, little country that's never in the news, very loving, very peaceful. We don't bother anybody. Some of you are chuckling because you know where I'm from. Uh, I was born and raised in Iran, in, um, in the capital city of Tehran, and um, I grew up a Muslim. Uh, my father and my uh, mother, uh, loving, loving parents, and uh, I have two siblings, a brother and a sister. So I grew up in a very loving home, um, and we grew up Muslim in that sense that obviously, as you know, Iran being an Islamic country. However, my experience with Islam was a lot more different because my father was heavily involved in the belief system. As far as I could, I was told, and I remember, my father, my grandfather, my great-grandfather were all Muslim. To a point where my father and my uncle built a huge mosque in Tehran, and we were just part of that. So Islam was part of who we were. It, it wasn't something that we believed in, and then here's our lives. For a, for a Muslim person, everything intertwines. And that's why you find it so difficult for somebody of a Muslim faith to leave their faith in that sense and, and, and go to a different faith because, in an, in an essence, you're losing your identity. You're losing who you are. Um, I see a lot of Christians, they're Christians, and yet they also have a different life Monday through Saturday in that sense. And, and, and for us as a Muslim, things were much different. We were involved. I was at the mosque every night for the uh, nightly prayer. Uh, I was the guy who called for the prayer uh, that you may hear sometimes in uh, National Geographic stuff or uh, movies. And so... I grew up knowing nothing else but Allah that you may have heard quite a bit recently in the news because of uh, what goes on out there and that he was a true God. 
So with that in the background, my story began when I was uh, 15 and a half, 15 years old, and I was a typical high school kid who didn't want to study and wanted to get by with the minimum. And my dad and my mom <clears throat> decided to uh, challenge me, and they thought this is a good way to get me to do better in school by saying if I got all A's in my 11th year of school, they will give me the opportunity to go to the United States for education for four or five years, which was a typical thing a lot of people did back then. And <clears throat> then after afterwards, after finishing my education, I could go back and uh, live in Iran. Well, that was their uh, motivation, but that was not their intention. They were hoping I would just get A's, and their idea was, well, I'm not going to be able to get a passport, so I don't have to go. If I got a passport, I won't be able to get a visa, a student visa, so I won't have to go. So they had no intention of sending me here. Lo and behold, I studied, and I got all A's, and I remember taking my uh, report card and going to my dad's office, and I said, hey, look, I got all A's. When are you going to get me my passport? He was kind of shocked that I even remember that, and so... Um, but he had given me his word, so therefore he sent me to the uh, immigration office to get my passport. And it was very difficult. It's really difficult to get a passport in a third world country. It's not something they hand out like we do in the United States. Um, and so he was hoping that I would not get the passport. I got the passport, and I came to him and said, I got my passport. When can I go to the embassy? This was when we still had an em- United States had an embassy in Iran. So um, he was... He, was, he knew for a fact that I was not going to get a visa because they were not giving visas to anybody. That was when the things were starting to kind of go a little bit sideways uh, between the two countries, in, uh, Iran and the United States. And so he got me a driver, and he sent me to the embassy. Uh, I, I didn't even make an appointment. I just walked up and literally knocked on the door and said, what do you need? I said, I want a visa. He said, come on in. <laughs> so I went in, and um, within a... Two days, I got my visa, which was unheard of. Now, obviously, looking back now, we know God's hand was on this, but I didn't know that at all because um, one of the things with Islam is, <clears throat> and, and kind of in that most Muslims, if not all, have a one-way relationship with God. We speak to him. He doesn't talk back. He's God. He lives out in the universe, in the heavens, wherever he dwells, and you're just one of his subjects, and you got to work your way in order to gain his favor that someday, if you should die, you'll go to heaven. So it is absolutely and utterly work salvation. Um, and the way it works is you do all the good things, and once you die and you stand before God, and he outweighs the good and the bad in that sense, hopefully he is in a good mood or in a position that he would say, okay, you could go in. Because you could, you could do all the good things you could do, but if he decides for you not to go to heaven, then you're not going to heaven. So there is no salvation in the sense that you and I feel in, on a daily basis. We just sang about that we, we put our trust in Jesus. Why? Because we know that through him, we are eternally going to be with God, right? And so we feel safe about our faith or believe in Jesus, whereas a Muslim does not have that faith. My father has been a Muslim. He's 86 years old now. And when you talk to him, it is, 
it is sad that the fact that he, even he, being so involved, doing all the things, he says, I don't know if I'm going to make it to heaven. And when I try to explain that to him, that's very difficult in that sense. So I came, to, I got my visa, and of course, um, my father got me a, they got me a ticket. I came out, I, I had a cousin that lived in San Diego, and he was a physics professor at San Diego State University. So I lived with him for a little bit, and uh, went to high school because I didn't speak any English at all. Uh, and, and so uh, went to high school with an extra year. I went to sign up for high school. They said, you could just go to college with the credit you have because the school system is a little bit different over there. And so I went to high school, graduated from high school. Just as I graduated from high school, things began to change in the country. And some of you may remember there was a revolution back in 1979 in Iran, and the Shah of Iran was ousted, and Ayatollah Khomeini came. The country completely turned 180 degrees and went the other way with the Islamic uh, belief system and the Islamic government. As a result, if you remember, they took some hostages. Well, they took the whole embassy as hostage, unfortunately, and that went on for over 400-something days. And as a result, in order to retaliate against that, President Carter uh, ordered all of our assets and all the finances that was between United States and Iran frozen. So I was no longer being supported by my family. That being said, I couldn't go to school. And uh, I was, at this point, I was 16 years old. And uh, um, once I didn't attend... San Diego State, uh, the U.S. government automatically canceled my uh, student visa. But I was given two choices by my parents. Well, I only had two choices at the time. Either go back to Iran and go to war with Iraq as a young man, as a, or stay here not knowing what was going to happen. So I'm kind of wrestling between all what to do, what not to do. I definitely didn't want to go to war. I, I, me and bullets do not mix. you know. And so I was just like... You guys, I, I like that stuff on TV, but that's it. I don't want to go to war, and I don't want to fight. I, I, I'm not into that kind of stuff. And so uh, my dad said, well, you could come back, and we could fig, uh, figure something out. And I said, well, let me try it out here. Let me see what happens. So since I couldn't work, I began to do odd jobs. And as a result, I would do random jobs. There, sometimes there would be work. Sometimes there won't be work. Um, sometimes I had no place to live. Sometimes I did. It was just kind of random things. And all this time, through, I was like, why is, the, why is God doing this to me? And in, truly, in my heart, I believe I did something wrong, and God was mad at me. And he's like, I'm going to drag you through the, uh, some difficult times to teach you a lesson for what you've done. And I could not think for my life what I had done. I, I came here. I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I really didn't hang out with people that did that kind of stuff. I tried to do all the things that I knew how to do in that sense, and I was growing up to do, but yet I felt like God had abandoned me. And I, was, I did not know why this was going on. It got, things things kind of began to get worse and worse and worse to a point where I, began, I had to live on the street. For a while, I was living in my car, and then I had to sell that car to eat. And, and so things were kind of, fortunately, I was in San Diego, so don't feel all that bad for me. The beach is really nice. <laughs> If you've ever been to San Diego, trust me, San Diego is a beautiful city. Um, because I've shared this with people before, and they're like, oh, my gosh. I'm like, no, 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 it wasn't all that bad. I was in San Diego. It could be worse here in the winter, you know. It's, yeah, 
or that rain we just had. So, um, but throughout this process, this process kind of took 14 years and uh, before I got my green card. And, uh, but throughout this process, God kept bringing Christian people into my life. Actually, one of my best friends, um, when, when I had gotten out of high school and was about to start college, who became a really good friend of mine, he actually was a heathen in that sense. But he was, throughout our friendship, he, he, he went to church and he was born again and he invited Christ into his heart. And he always would invite me to go to church with him. And we would go and, and we would have discussions. And he was a new believer, so he didn't have any answers. And I, and I would disappoint him but not following and receiving Christ because it was very important to me. The more God brought Christian people into my life, the more I dug my heel deeper and deeper into Islam because I thought, okay, this is all attack from Satan. God's just trying to push me, you know, the other direction. I, don't, I didn't want to leave my faith. Uh, and so this, this went on until God brought somebody into my life who gave me a book from a historical perspective of Islam. Because when you grow up in Iran or any Islamic country, all you are going to hear and learn is from their perspective because they have an agenda to push, right, especially as a child. Um, because they want you to believe what they believe in. I grew up believing my father believed in, not so much I went and researched it, because why would my father lie to me, right? Why would my parents lie to me? I mean, I had a great parents, so it wasn't so much that, oh, I can't trust my parents. So this book began to really open my eyes and soften my heart for me even considering Christ to be the true God. I didn't... <clears throat> Excuse me. I didn't come to Christ from a life of drugs, from life of alcohol, from a life of just not believing in anything in that sense. My biggest challenge was, who is the true God? By this time, I'm 30 years old. I'm pretty much firm in my faith, and I don't want to follow another God, find out 30 years later that he is not the true God either. So believing in God was very foundational for me in my life uh, because of my upbringing. And uh, through this process, I had met a pastor. Now, mind you, these 14 years, I had listened to sermons. I had gone to churches. I had had discussion with pastors. And um, some good friends got brought into my life, Christian friends that we became great friends. And uh, one day, uh, when I was 30 years old, I went to a friend of mine who was a pastor of this church. He finished his sermon. Everybody went home. I went up afterwards and said, I think I'm gonna, I want to receive Christ. And he's like, are you sure? And I said, yeah, this is your opportunity, man. Come on. Pray me up, dude. Do whatever it is you got to do. And so because he had, he had not given up, but he was, he was totally shocked. And so, so he prayed with me uh, and I received Christ at that moment. I thought I did at least um, because I couldn't understand uh, how I could say one prayer, invite Christ into my heart, and now no longer I have to do all the things I grew up doing to get God's favor. When you grow up that way, there's a lot of guilt that sets in because you're always afraid of God not out of reverence, but out of fear. The God that you and I serve today is a God that we 
don't fear out of, because we're afraid of what he could do for us, but we, we respect him, we revere him because of who he is, because of his love and how he demonstrated his love toward us. So I received Christ for about two and a half years. Uh, I had no idea what I'd done. I'll be honest with you. I would go to church, I would hear sermons, oh, that's great stuff. But I didn't know what to do. I, I had nobody come alongside and say, look, it's not just saying a prayer. There's a process. You need to grow. You need to study. You know? and, and so that's one of the reasons I'm very big on discipleship. Now that I'm a believer in Christ, it's important to come alongside new believers and walk with them for a little while and help them and encourage them. And so I, as I began to um, walk in my faith, God began to open doors and opportunity for me to uh, understand and study his truth. Through this process, uh, if you all, re- some of you may remember President Reagan, Reagan, before he left office, he passed an amnesty law, which we qualified, I qualified in that sense, to um, get my green card. I got my green card through that. And by now, I was able to work. I was working for, at the time, I was working for, I believe, Nordstrom's. I got a job in Nordstrom's, and, uh, and you guys don't have a Nordstrom here. I, that's a, did you know that's the first thing they told me? That's the first thing the search team told me. Did you know there's not a Nordstrom here? I'm like, oh, okay, well, thank you. I don't know why. That was a long time ago I worked at Nordstrom's. I mean, Costco is a different thing. I know you guys don't have a Costco. I don't know what I'm going to do with that. But, um, but I was working Nordstrom's, and I was working up the corporate ladder with them, and it was, I had a great job. And I remember um, I began to sense, uh, I mean, I didn't know how to f- hear from God. I've never heard from God in an audible sense. Or, but I, I felt God wanted me to pray for something different. And I began to pray, God, I want to do something that makes a difference for you. And, but I don't want to be in ministry. Uh, that's not what I'm called to do. I know I'm not. I'm, I don't, I'm just learning how to be a Christian, you know. And, 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 and I was, at the time, I was attending a church in, in San Diego, a large church, and there was a gentleman, uh, a pastor. His name is Miles McPherson. He was teaching on Sunday night, and I would attend services there. And it was a pretty large crowd. And one night he said, hey, we need some help in our office because he had a lay ministry aside, beside the preaching, and it was called Miles Ahead. And the, what they would do, travel around the country and set up events and crusades for youth and minister to the youth. And so I, I was working in retail. My hours was flexible, so I said, I'll come in and help out. And that's where I learned to um, stuff envelopes, fold T-shirts, eat cold pizzas, and answer the phone. They really helped me with that. Those are essential to uh, any ministry. And uh, Ben will attest to that since he's been doing that for a long time. Um, and, um, and I had no desire to be involved in the ministry at all. I really didn't. Public speaking was like, here I am, public speaking is in China. So we, let's keep the distance, right? I, you know, and so, but uh, God had a different plan in all this. Um, after a year and a half of volunteering, uh, Miles approached me and said, I would really love for you to work for us. And I'm like, I'm new in Christianity. I don't know anything about ministry. I'll be glad to do all little work that nobody else wants to do. But you may want to find somebody who has some at least experience and expertise in ministry. Expertise in ministry. So he said, well, just pray about it. And uh, so I prayed about it and came to give my answer. And by then, they had already hired somebody. This was three months later. And 
the following week, Miles and I took a trip to Seattle. He was speaking at a, a youth event. And when we got back, the following weekend, his uh, executive uh, uh, pastor had asked me to go, come to the office because Miles wanted to talk to me. And I thought I had done something on the trip or said something that he got upset and he wants to talk to me. But uh, when we went, I went and met with him, he said, I really want you to come and work for us. Uh, the other couple didn't work out. I want you to be in ministry. And so, but don't pray for three months this time. I will need you right away. I said, all right, all right, all right. So I took a week or two. I prayed and, and um, started with miles ahead as a crusade director and began to travel around the country, set up events, uh, and went up to Canada, to Africa. And so um, in the four years into this process with miles ahead, miles decided to start a church, uh, which is called the Rock Church now in San Diego. And so we were involved at the very onset of that church planning because basically what happened was when we have our first weekend service, the 3,000 people that were attending the Sunday night services, two services, all kind of transferred to the new church called the Rock Church. So we were already running around trying to keep up with the number of people and all the needs that the church has, and we were only a handful of people as a staff. So through this process, the church grew, and... uh, God blessed me with an amazing woman because I had given up trying to find a wife. You guys know what I'm talking about. If I pray a certain way or God will bring a certain person or maybe God just wants me to put myself out there so I would do that kind of stuff. Finally, I gave up at age of 40. And I said, God, I'm 40 years old. There's no reason for me to be married, so I'm done. And lo and behold, my wife moves in next to my best friend. Uh, from Chicago. Um, We met, and uh, she rejected me, let me tell you right now. (laughs) Yeah, it was very humiliating. But she tells a better story. And um, we got married uh, two years later, and we've been married for 16 years. We have two little boys. And um, when... When our first son, when we got married, I knew my life is going to change. And I did not, did not want to be one of those pastors who always say at the end of their lives, what, what you regret the most in that I should have spent more time with my family, but I was involved at church or I was traveling, and I traveled a lot. And so um, I had approached my husband and said, hey, I want to be able to transition into the church full time because I don't want to travel. Our first son was coming and at the same time, uh, my wife had said, you know, we need to pray for move to a smaller town so we could have a better quality of life so you could be home. And I was doing an event in Hemet, in the city that we're in now, and I met our current senior pastor, and he offered me a position, and we prayed about it. I went home, told my wife, hey, there's an opportunity in Hemet. She goes, where is Hemet? Just like when I told her South Dakota, she goes, Fargo? I said, no, that's North Dakota. So... Um, yeah, and, and so we, uh, after much prayer, we moved up to Hemet, and I've been at that church for about 11 years, and I pretty much do everything that senior pastor doesn't want to do, which is everything. And, and so, and, and as you know, your senior pastors do a lot. Don't, don't get me wrong. It's not like they're sitting at home eating bonbons. Uh, there is a lot goes on to senior pastor at church. And, and so, um, and then this opportunity came along with Ben and, and, and with Rimrock, and I'm, we're really excited. Now, I say all these things because I want to tie this to a passage out of, the, out of Matthew real quick. Five minutes, Ben. 
Is that okay? Thank you. Uh, in Matthew 16, uh, chapter 16, verse 13, now it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Some, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is he- in heaven. In order to be in part of a body of Christ, in order for us to be a believer, we have to believe in Christ, right? There are no other ways in that sense. Um, this is a test. Jesus takes his apostles to Caesarea Philippi. This is more of a pagan country, and they're kind of getting away from the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all that hustle and bustle that was going on. And he asks them this all-important question that each and every one of us have to answer as well. Jesus wants to know what do we say about him? Who is he to you? Who is he to me? Uh, as, as he says, who do you say that I am? But remember, um, prior to that, there was all kinds of views, right? Some say Elijah, some say the prophet, some say um, Isaiah. But Jesus makes it personal. Who do you say that I am? I think some of us tend to follow our parents' faith or our friends' faith. And we've never really received Christ as our Lord and Savior in that sense. This is a challenging part for a lot of younger people. I have two boys, and I know right now they claim to be Christians, but are they truly going to grow up to be Christian and someday claim that faith for themselves? And, and, and it's important to understand when we stand before God, we stand as individuals, not as families, not as tribes, not as countries. So you need, I need to answer for myself. Who do I say Jesus is? And that's a very important question because um, everything that we live for hinges on this, the answer to this question, right? We read in Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. So there will come a time that even non-believers will bow their knees to Jesus, Right? of those who are in heaven on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The way I see these passages, we have two options. We either make Christ our own on this side of heaven or on the other side. The problem with the other side is too late. You will confess it, but you end up eternally separated from God. There is no second chance up there. So it's important to make sure we make Christ our Lord and Savior. And the second thing is, when I got saved and I began to run into these friends over the past 14 years, and so as I would share with them that I received Christ, I commonly heard the one thing over and over and over. I've been praying for you for this many years. I've been praying for you for so long. And, and that really um, broke my heart in, that, in the sense that there were people that were interceding on my behalf before God. And God does answer prayer. And if you have anybody in your life, please, please, please do not give up hope. Keep praying for them. Because salvation, as, as Jesus says to Peter um, in that passage, he says, Blessed are you, Simon uh, Barjona, 
Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Salvation is a work of God. We may be the instrument God used to plant a seed. We may be the instrument that God uses to water the seed. But the cultivation comes from whom? God himself. So my encouragement to you is don't give up hope. There are many people like me who are just looking, that do not understand, and, 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 and that do not know Christ, and they need to know Christ. But my job, your job as a believer in Christ is to follow and obey him and let him work in and through us and faithfully pray for those around us that do not know Christ that they may someday come to know Christ. Would you join me in a word of prayer, please? Father, we thank you for our time with you today, O oh Lord. Lord, I pray that you give us courage to live out your truth in our lives. And I pray that you bless these dear brothers and sisters, Lord, as they seek to know you more and more each and every day. Guide and direct us. Help us draw closer to you, Lord, and give us the faith that we need to walk with you each and every day as our world is getting darker and darker. But the plus side of this, the darker the world gets, the brighter we could shine for you, and the more you could be glorified. I thank you for this opportunity, Lord. I pray your blessings upon Rimrock and the staff, the worship team, and the congregation, Lord. It is in your holy name we pray. Amen.